The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by Dr. John Fesco. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. We are grateful that indeed you are kind and merciful to us, that when we, your children, come to you and seek bread, that you do not give us to us a stone or a serpent, but rather you lavishly feed us uh, through the word. And so we pray, O Lord, that as we uh, still our minds and give attention to your word for a few moments uh, today, uh, that you would please bless us with your grace, that you would pour out your spirit through Christ, and that you would further conform us to the image of your Son. We pray and ask all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. May be seated. I'm just going to read uh, one small uh, passage of scripture from Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 17, or basically verse 17, and then begin our reflection for this morning. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. I think when we uh, give thought to the topic of technology, our minds perhaps likely uh, wander off to the latest technological gadget or gizmo that might appear uh, in the mall or in the local computer store. Uh, The iPhone, for example, I think was invented a little bit more than a decade ago, and so we likely think of that type of uh, device. But yet, if we think about the whole of New Testament church history, which is some 2,000 years, then we can say that a recent technological uh, development has been the invention of the automobile. Now, you might not think of that as a recent invention, but if we were to take the last 2,000 years and liken it to uh, a 24-hour clock, we could say that the car, the automobile, was invented within the last hour and 12 minutes. That is, if my math uh, has worked out. I had to do some fractions and other things, and uh, that could be pretty sketchy information. But nevertheless, if church history is spread out for 2,000 years, the car has been invented within the last 100 years, you get the idea. From that vantage point, the automobile is a recent invention. Now, as I said in the previous address, as C.S. Lewis said that with every conquest of nature, there are advancements, but there are also uh, Retreats. In other words, it may strengthen us in certain ways, but it also, the advancement might weaken us in certain ways. One step forward, two steps back. And I think that this is certainly the case with the automobile, in that the automobile has brought many benefits, but in particular, as it concerns uh, life in the church, there have also been a number of setbacks with the invention of the car. And so what I want us to do, uh, be it ever so briefly this morning, is to give thought uh, to the impact of the uh, technology of the automobile upon the car, uh, upon the church, both um, negatively and positively. But in order for us to appreciate uh, the impact of the automobile, uh, I want us to take a brief step back 
uh, into the Middle Ages, so to speak, so that we can kind of get an idea as to what life was like in the church prior to the invention of the car. In the Middle Ages, uh, people typically lived in a village and it was perhaps set on a large uh, estate owned by a noble or a nobleman. And there on that particular estate, there was that village and within that village would have been a church. Now perhaps in a larger estate, uh, you would have had maybe several villages and therefore several churches. But the overall idea is, is that if you were born in that village, you would attend church in that village in your local uh, congregation there, and you would live within walking distance of your church, perhaps within a mile to three miles. If you are somewhat more uh, wealthy than the average person, then you might have the advantage of a horse or horse-drawn transportation, which means that you would be able to live at a slightly greater distance, maybe somewhere between three to five miles. But if we transition to, say, the city, uh, you would find a similar phenomenon, though with perhaps slightly larger numbers. With any uh, congregation uh, within a city, it would perhaps be somewhat larger, uh, but people, again, would live within walking distance of their local church, and not only within walking distance, but there would be maybe several churches spread around the city. Uh, but even then, those pastors within that city would stay in contact with one another on a regular basis. Uh, now, I can remember when I was in graduate school, I didn't have an automobile. Uh, I had to walk to church. I know that it's probably embarrassing, but I couldn't figure out the public transportation system, so I figured it was just easier to walk. Uh, and it worked out all right, unless it was uh, raining sideways. Uh, and then you ended up getting soaked. Uh, and I walked about a mile and a half uh, to church, and I could make it in about uh, 20 minutes. Uh, that may have been an anomaly for me personally, but that was life, and that was common. We could say nearly for some 2,000 years if we start with Christ and then move forward. It was that way for some 2,000 years. In other words, if this was your church, you lived there, you were married there, you died there, and for better or for worse, this was your church, whether it was conservative or whether it was liberal, you were stuck with it. And so this means that an entire church membership lived within walking distance. Uh, churches were local, they were embedded in communities. They were therefore a close-knit community and churches, uh, people were essentially captive to their local church. You might have another option or two if you lived in a city, but as I said, if you wandered off to another church, chances are uh, the priest in the, uh, in the city would kind of find out what was going on and maybe uh, bring you back. Well, with the advent of the automobile, this changed everything, quite literally. It changed everything. In one periodical written in the 1920s, it said, The day of the horse is gone. The automobile has driven him from the roads. The boys and men and women of this generation must have automobiles. And in this particular uh, periodical, the, the author was touting the advantages of the automobile. The automobile can save lives, he said. Why? Because if somebody was ill, you could put them in the car and race them off to the hospital, even if they lived at a great distance. Automobiles could prevent crime. 
Not exactly sure how that worked. Uh, the author of the article in question didn't necessarily specify that, other than to say perhaps it facilitated the ability of law enforcement uh, to travel at greater distances and thus increase their ability to keep watch over greater areas uh, in the community. And so all of this, this one author said, was to keep up with the process of an ever uh, faster moving world. Well, churches had to adapt to this new technology. It used to be that a church would just own a piece of property. But now all of a sudden they had to buy a piece of property adjacent to them so that they could have room for a parking lot, something that they really didn't need before because now they had a sea of vehicles uh, surrounding the church. Pastors were eager to adopt the technology of the automobile because they saw it as a means to be able to reach remote areas, uh, areas that they previously could not access so that they could take the gospel to people in outlying uh, remote regions. And so this was certainly touted as a benefit. But this also, I think, dramatically changed the nature of the church's relationship to its local community. Rather than being embedded within a local community, churches wanted to have ease of access, and so they began moving towards the new, growing, developing highway system here in this particular country. And so now churches no longer drew their membership necessarily from the local community, but rather we could say from all points on the compass. The parish, in a sense, almost kind of ceased to exist, or certainly it began its demise with the invention of the automobile. But we want to recognize this, that technology, no matter how beneficial it might be, is never a value-neutral kind of thing. Somebody makes a decision that is laden with value decisions as to what is positive and what is negative about it. And in this particular case, the inventors of the automobile believed that the, the car could transform rural America. Teddy Roosevelt, president during the, on, uh, the onset of the automobile, created the Country Life Commission, which was tasked with industrializing rural America. And so I think that the automobile became a crucial instrument in the ever-expansion of capitalism because there was always this quest for ever-growing markets. There was always this quest for ever-growing markets, and the automobile was the perfect instrument to be able to implement these capitalistic ideals. Because cars could empower consumers, and thus by empowering consumers, there could be ever-expanding markets. And in fact, from another periodical from the 20s, one person wrote, to buy a Ford, that is a Ford automobile, does not impoverish ministers, but increases their profitable efficiency. Increases their profitable efficiency. Listen to that language. Here, what the, this particular person was arguing is that church pastors need to be paid more so that they can afford to buy a car, but it's not just simply the acquisition of a material possession. Rather, this is something to increase their profitable efficiency. The language of ministry gets changed. The language of ministry itself gets changed. 
uh, into the dialect of capitalism. Ministers are supposed to be efficient. They're supposed to be profitable. And as, as you know from life in the church, sometimes ministry is anything but profitable. It is anything but efficient. But nevertheless, this was the impact of the automobile. Farmers purchased cars, they were more efficient, they uh, were able to produce more, and so therefore they expected the same of their pastors. Now don't get me wrong, I'm not here to bash automobiles. I use one every day, and I like it. (laughs) I don't want to ride a bike or a horse for that matter to, 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 to work here. So there are many benefits. Uh, People who live in remote areas uh, can have access to biblically faithful churches. They are not stuck to walking distance to their church. Ministers can reach people in remote areas. Uh, That, I think, is another benefit. If a church becomes liberal, people can drive away and find a good church. Uh, And in fact, over the years, I've heard of some driving an hour or more on a regular basis each and every Lord's Day so that they can attend church because there are no faithful congregations in their areas. On the other hand, there are some drawbacks. You see, is that if the automobile is a key ingredient in capitalism and in consumerism, then I think that this is something that affects the way Uh, and life of the church. Because think about it, if you as a consumer can go to your local market and you can't find the widget that you particularly are looking for, whatever it may be, whether it's food, whether it's a product, whether it's some sort of instrument, whether it's a tool, you can't find the one that you want. With the automobile, you are free to go to another market. Perhaps not just in your local community, perhaps in the community next door, perhaps in the city next door, perhaps even out of state, you're free to do so. Now, freedom to find the very best products so that you can spend your money wisely is certainly a wonderful blessing. But I think in this respect, the automobile has transformed many church members into church consumers, church members into church consumers. If a controversy embroils a church, drive away. If your church tries to exercise discipline on you, drive away. Drive away to another community where they're unaware of your transgressions. If the church doesn't meet your every demand so that you can check off every box on your theological checklist, drive away. In fact, one time I was listening to somebody talk about the churches that they had attended, and over some 40 years, this particular couple had attended more than a dozen churches. More than a dozen churches. Well, so what is the, what is the way that we can ensure that this doesn't occur? In other words, so that we can wisely use the technological advancement of the automobile without allowing uh, the automobile to turn us into consumers when it comes to the church. We can't turn back the clock and eliminate the vehicle, uh, although perhaps we could say the Amish have tried to do that very thing. Um, And we can celebrate the many blessings that automobiles have, but just remember this one statement, this one thought, just because you can drive away doesn't mean that you should. 
When you join a church, you take a vow of membership to submit yourself to the authority of its leaders, which is why we read Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So in other words, if the church determines that church discipline is the, is the necessary remedy for your particular situation in life, you need to submit. You need to pray to, the, for, to Christ that he would grant you the grace to enable you to submit to that, even if that's not something that you want. Your, 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 your inclination may be to flee, but in driving away, you may be driving away from the very thing that you so desperately need in your life. You know, factionalism is something that has plagued the church from its earliest days. In Corinth, those folks claimed some, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos. Well, if they had cars, I suspect they would have driven away and started the second church of Corinth of the Pauline denomination and perhaps the third church of Corinth of the Apollos you know, denomination. Same thing in Rome. There were the, the meat eaters and the vegetarians in Romans chapter 14. I mean, we all know who is right. <laughs> Need we say more? But, you know, if they had automobiles, would they have established the second church of Rome, vegetarians only? The third church of Rome, meat eaters need only to apply. We eat bacon here, go away. But the point is, is that here in this day, they did not have the ability to drive away. To put it in te technical theological terms, they had to gut it out. Or to put it in more biblical terms, they had to learn to love one another. They had to learn to sacrifice. They had to learn to be patient with one another. Just because you can drive away from a church doesn't mean that you should. And in fact, in driving away, when you drive away, you're stunting your own growth and you're stunting the growth of the church that you leave behind. In this respect, I think that perhaps we ought to treat our church membership vows more like a marriage vow. Now, I understand that there are differences between the two. The Bible offers very few reasons that would legitimately uh, break uh, a vow of marriage. And there are other, more, uh, other legitimate reasons as to why you could leave a church. Perhaps relocation, the church uh, denies the gospel. Uh, there, there are a host of different reasons. When a church develops doctrinal problems, Stay, pray, and obey. Exercise patience. Pray on behalf of the church leaders. Submit to their authority. If a church lacks outreach, instead of saying, I'm leaving because this church doesn't have the outreach that I wish it would, become the change that you want to see. Provide meals. Host people in your home. Offer to teach Sunday school. Ensure that when people come into the church doors, you warmly greet them. If the church makes decisions with which you disagree, humbly submit and echo Christ's humility 
in his life as he humbly submitted to the decisions uh, in, in the life of the church of his day, so to speak, that he uh, embraced, though he undoubtedly disagreed. If the church determines to exercise discipline against you, remember, as the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 8, God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? In the end, brothers and sisters in Christ, I think we should take something from the traditional marriage vows and apply them to our own church membership vows. This day forward, for better or for worse, for richer, or for poorer, in sickness, and in health, until death do us part. It's not a precise comparison, but I think that if we took more of that, instead of allowing the, church, the automobile to turn us into church consumers, that we drive away at the drop of a hat, I think our own lives would be strengthened, and the church would be strengthened. Because it's in the midst of those difficulties that the Lord strengthens us and strengthens the church. He teaches us humility. He teaches us to love one another. There may come, may come a point when relationships get fractured. But instead of disposing with the relationship, it's like a broken bone. When the bone breaks and you set it, it typically becomes stronger when it heals than it initially was. And that, I think, is often the case with our relationships in and with the church. So, beloved in Christ, when things get difficult, seek to love the church as Christ has loved us. Be long-suffering, patient, and sacrificial. Abilities that only come from the grace of Christ. And if things come to a breaking point where the church ceases to bear one of the three marks, right preaching of the word, right administration of the sacraments, or the right administration of discipline, then and only then should you consider seriously leaving a church. Irreconcilable differences may be a legitimate reason for a divorce, at least legally, say, in our, in our country, albeit unbiblical. I pray it would not be a reason as to why we would immediately get in our car and drive away from our church. Just because you can drive away doesn't mean you should. Let's bow together in a word of prayer. Father God, we give you thanks that you have blessed us with so many technological advancements in the automobile being one of them. But we pray, O Lord, that in our use of these many gifts, that we would not turn them into idols or allow these gifts to turn us into idols as we worship ourselves and our own desires. Conform our desires to Christ. Enable us to be long-suffering and patient and loving with your church, that we would not so easily be offended or drive away at at a drop of a hat, but rather we would love your church as you have loved us. We pray and ask these things in Christ's name. Copyright 2018, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.